on this week's episode, the streaming wars heat up on Christmas, the best pro wrestlers for 2020, and has KFC just won the console war? All this and more as we reach our Christmas stop, <laughs> the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos, Game Source, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and the Lakers Fast Break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of great shows. And if you can, please give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe, follow, or do anything that you can to support us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos, it is truly appreciated. But it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse with one of my good friends. This time back around, he is the originator of the PCC multiverse. It is my good friend indeed. He is the man behind Topicocalypse and the Super BS Games cast. And make sure you go ahead and check out everything that he's doing today at popculturecosmos.com. Plus his amazing book, Congratulations You Suck, which you can still get on Kindle just for Christmas. Go ahead and grab it out there today. On Amazon and Barnes and Noble, it is Mary Joshmas, aka Josh Peterson. Hopefully, What's they, up, man? I'm hoping they bought the book already. I well, am... you know, I mean, there's going to be all those guys out there, and we all know who you are, guys. You know that are like forgot and spaced and got too busy and last minute shopping yeah. turned into procrastinating shopping, and so they're like, wake up Christmas morning and, oops, they forgot. So what a better way to go ahead and say I love you on Christmas Day than getting congratulations, you suck. Exactly. So here's my my advice to all of you people out there. Instead of buying your significant other the most expensive thing you can find at Walgreens, just buy them a copy of my book and gift it to them via the Kindle Marketplace. Absolutely. I would love to see that happen. But also as well with us, a special guest for the Christmas holiday season. In fact, since this is airing on Christmas... What a better way to say Merry Christmas. He returns to us from the land of Topicocalypse. It is Big Dog. Woof, woof. What's, what's up, up, man? What's up? Not much, man. Just enjoying California at the moment as much as I can. My days as SoCal during the Christmas holidays were very pleasant indeed. And I know Josh could say the same thing as well. We loved it so much we moved to East, <laughs> so, so to speak, yes. But it is going to be a, hopefully a happy Christmas for everyone out there because I know everybody that is going to be listening to us is going to be listening to this on Christmas. And also, if you're checking this out on any of the radio stations around the world after Christmas, we truly appreciate you listening and hope you had a wonderful Christmas. And hopefully, in advance, I'm going to say it to you right now, a blessed new year as well. we got a great episode coming up for you. Knowing and fine. From Hunnic Queen, he's going to be talking about Scrooge and some Yuletide horror movies to watch this Christmas because you know he loves his horror. And what a better way to go ahead and gather around on a Christmas day or Christmas weekend than go ahead and watch some horror movies. So he's going to talk about that coming up here in a sec. And Ryan John Tombasco, 
the Bar Talk podcast. He's on the back end of the show talking about the best that he thought happened in the world of pro wrestling. And at the end, the very back end, we're going to be back to talk about uh, our Christmas movies that we really like, plus also as well some fast food ideas that I know Big Dog and Josh were very excited to hear just before we went on the air. But I have only told them one fast food story that's gone around this past week. I haven't told them the other, and I'll tell that coming up here on the back end of the show as well. But first, guys, it is Soul hitting Disney Plus and Wonder Woman 1984 hitting HBO Max. Want to hear your guys' thoughts on it? I know everybody is excited about there about getting these kinds of AAA movies straight to streaming. In the case of Wonder Woman, almost straight to streaming. I know it debuted already in some theaters around the world already, but we're essentially getting it almost day and date to its first release. Big Dog, I want to start with you. Your excitement over these two, I mean, has it got you interested in going ahead and subscribing to HBO Max when it comes to Wonder Woman 1984? And do you have Disney's soul, Pixar's soul, all set for you on Disney Plus? I do have Disney Plus, so I'm probably going to check out Soul. Wonder Woman 1984, I don't know. I, I tempted to get HBO Max. I mean, I already have HBO Go, but uh, yeah, I don't want to miss out on it because it looks, it does look pretty interesting. And I haven't seen a good movie. In a, well, I, I take that back. I haven't seen a a good superhero movie in a little while. Absolutely. They've been kind of a little bit out of the mix because of what's gone on, because those higher budgeted, big budgeted movies for the superhero movies have something been very affected by what's gone on. Josh, your thoughts. I know we've talked about it already a little bit on both Soul and primarily Wonder Woman 1984. I think a lot of people are still staying away because worldwide it has not been the crashing success. I know they're still in Hollywood trying to find that one movie. That's going to get people back in the theaters. But so far in the results overseas, Wonder Woman 1984, no matter how good a critical acclaim it's getting, that movie is not it for now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I don't expect people to run to the box office to see this movie, especially in you know our current climate. You know, th- this is like we said before, this is like the, the litmus test, right? This is going yeah. to really... Uh, test people's resolve when it comes to the seeing things in movie theaters and then again though i mean some people have a christmas tradition of going to see things in movies so we might not even really like see solid numbers until the christmas weekend is over that being said you know as far as hbo max is concerned like i do plan it it's out today right it came out on the 23rd that was 25th christmas but yeah i mean it is something i do plan on watching this is something that I would like to see in the theaters, but also like I get it, you know, so it's something I probably will end up watching from my couch. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm, I'm curious how they're going to judge like how much money it made seeing how it's based on a streaming service. So it will be hitting the day this airs. So just to let you know on, on the 25th. Go ahead, Big Dog, if you want to say something. Say, do you think they're going to do it like how Dizzy did for Mulan, where even if you have the streaming service, you still have to do a one-time purchase to watch the movie forever? No, no. This will actually be with the subscription. So okay. if you're paying – and also remember, you're paying substantially more, I think up to $15 a month for HBO Max, as opposed to what most people like five, six, seven, eight dollars $8 a month with Disney. So I yeah. think that's probably the trade-off there. I know Ryan, The Last Dragon, which is a Disney animated feature, that is coming in early 2021. That is also going to require a premium fee. So that's a little bit different how Pixar Soul, they're giving you for free, essentially, with the subscription. 
-hmm. but yet with Mulan and now Raya and the Last Dragon, they're asking you to pay extra amounts for it as far as for premium access. I wonder what their thought process on that. That's something I would love to ask Disney if I've ever got the opportunity. But with HBO Max, their entire lineup of day and date movies that they're going to be showing, those are all with just the whatever it is the price is at that point in time or whatever subscription plan that you have. So okay. that's actually a pretty good deal. I, I would agree with that because the fact that, again, you're paying so much more substantially over what you're paying for than for Disney+. Plus. Okay. How yeah. you think? And, like, how would, like how you said, how would you gauge how much you make off the month off the movie then? Just by new subscriptions after the movie comes that's out? That's all they're worried about. That's all HBO Max is worried about this time since obviously they're not going to be able to capitalize on a box office bonanza anymore at this point in time until things get a lot better. Subscriptions is what it's all about. And since they're late in the game, in the streaming wars, and they're behind Disney Plus and they're behind Netflix, they'll never catch up unless they do something like this. No, it's funny, too, because, like, if you look at it, theater prices, you go to see a movie on a Friday night, it's going to cost you about $16. So you're technically saving about a dollar just by doing an HBO Max subscription. And you can actually see tons of TV shows, specials, features, and movies. I mean, right now, one of the best movies of the year, according to Josh and myself, which has been on there since the inception of HBO Max, Class Action Park is something I highly recommend. And I did have a chance this week to go ahead and talk to Seth Porges of Class Action Park. And I'm actually going to be playing that interview on Monday's show. And by the way, he sends his greeting outs to you, Josh. And thanks you so much for watching and, and reaching out with your kind words in regards to the film. He was very touched by what you had to say. Oh, awesome. Good. I'm glad. Because I quoted him word for word what you said on the Monday show. So he was uh, very touched by what you had to say on that. So he wanted to wish you a warm thank you on that because he, he loves it when anybody praises his work. And yes, I will be playing that interview with Seth Porges, one of the directors of Class Action Park, coming up on our Monday show. But guys, it is something, like I said, it's going to be very important to the streaming wars. But yes, Big Dog, it, it's basically all about the subscriptions at this point for HBO Max. Okay, I mean, that makes sense because they don't they have like three different ones? There was HBO Go, HBO Now, and now there's HBO Max. I think they're going to eventually loop that all into HBO Max. That is going to be the cornerstone of what they're doing going forward, I think. I got my HBO Go like membership free with my phone, so I don't know if they're going to roll that into that or if it's just going to cut it off or what. I would I would hope that they would roll into it. or But since it's so much more expensive than HBO Go, there's, there's a possibility they may ask you to go ahead and, and pay the difference on that. Josh, did you have any thoughts on that? Oh yeah, I mean it it honestly like if they if they're trying to get ahead in the streaming world like it it would show good faith towards their customers if they did package all these things in the one that way you know you're not missing out on content. A lot of people subscribe to HBO because they want to see like the newest and the best content and HBO Max seems to have all that. So if I were an HBO subscriber, I would cancel my subscription and then go to HBO Max and you know, as opposed to the uh, 20 or $30 a month package on cable. Yeah. And this well, the is thing something... with HBO. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go first. You first. Oh, it's just like H... When HBO, they kind of lost a lot of viewers when, because they didn't really have anything lined up to take Game of Thrones place and nothing has really done well since then. And they kind of lost a lot of sports. Like I know HBO boxing is gone. They don't have that contract anymore. I don't know if they have any other sports contracts, but 
Westworld. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But the Watchmen is something that I think was the last yeah. thing that they've had that's that good his, this year, as far as that's on a large material. scale. His Dark Materials got some critical acclaim, and it was just renewed for uh, I think season yeah. three and a final season three yeah. on that. I mean, it's not. I don't see it be like I enjoyed the show, but I don't see that being enough to really like drive people to HBO in droves. You know, not a pop culture phenomenon like Game of Thrones was. Yeah. And Watchmen was essentially by the creator saying that that's a one-off. I'm mm-hmm. hoping that they'll find their way through, possibly to return to that. But I have a feeling that is going to be just a one-off because they were very adamant about it, even hearing and seeing all the success from that critically and also viewer-wise. I think that's going to be it for the Watchmen, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because I think it was just a, such a great series. So I'm hoping they will follow up, but I don't think I, I don't hold out much hope for that which is unfortunate. But yes, uh, HBO Max is going to be the way of the future for them going forward. Well, they're going to have to because I think the, the other, I think just the other day I saw my first movie advertisement where it was like releasing, like say February 20th, 2021, and then two weeks later releasing on Netflix. I've never seen a movie advertised as being released on Netflix after in theaters. Well, this is going to be the way of the future. I mean, you're going to see this either day and date or small turnaround because when you have very few people attending the theaters, and a movie like Wonder Woman 1984 across the sea where it, it's places where it's not as bad with the coronavirus still not bringing in audiences. Mm-hmm. I think that tells you right there any way that they can generate revenue right now is through streaming as far as going ahead and, and being able to drive those memberships, drive those subscriberships up even farther. And I think that's going to be the way going forward, at least for the foreseeable future. Josh had foreseen this to be the case. So. It looks like for well, now, until things get better, it's going to come true. What do you guys predict? Do you think that the streaming wars is going to drive the prices down or up? Oh, it's always going to go up. That's what I figured. Yeah. They're the same as like a movie ticket. Like it's going to be $18, $20 a month to have your subscriptions. Eventually, because you're talking about these $200 million productions, mm-hmm. if they're not going to generate a billion dollars at the theaters, right, Josh? I mean, they've got to go ahead and, and get that money back yeah. in some form of yeah. I mean, you can only sit. I, we talked about this with Wonder Woman, right? You can only sit on a multi-million-dollar project for so long before you know you start seeing really bad losses from it. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about the movie theaters, though. I feel like if I see something at home, like I'll, I'll only watch it once. Like I never, I never have that. Wow, I want to, I want to go back and see it yeah. again. No, I hear you. I totally get that. Well, we'll see what happens, but it is definitely something that we're excited about. Which, again, for everybody listening out there, as this drops. It's dropping today, and that is Wonder Woman 1984 dropping today on HBO Max. And also as well, Soul from Pixar is now available on Disney+. Plus. So go ahead and share us your thoughts on Disney+, Plus and Soul, and also as well, HBO Max and Wonder Woman 1984. We want to go ahead and hear your thoughts on that. Did you enjoy the films? Are you going out and rushing out and subscribing to HBO Max or adding your Disney Plus subscription now because of it? Share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com well coming up next we've got noah ian fine from honey queen he's going to be talking some great christmas horror movies and scrooge and then after that we've got ryan john tombasco talking about the best of pro wrestling in 2020 and then we're on the back end talking some christmas movies and some fast food coming up right after the break this is the pcc multiverse for the latest news and information, analysis, and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. 
got my good friend here from Hunnicween. You got to check out what he's doing today at Hunnicween on Facebook and also the Hunnic Outcast. It is a man who has saved us more times here at Pop Culture Cosmos than I can count. But he's here today to talk about Christmas horror stories and Scrooge. It is Noe and Fine and Noah. Thanks for coming on today. Let's talk some Scrooge, shall we? It's one of these movies that I have a top 12 each year, and I try to squeeze as many as I can in. And Scrooged is always in my top five. It was one of those films that nobody asked for or wanted, and yet somehow it just... Because there's hundreds of possibly thousands of versions of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, right? Mm -hmm. But the question is, is there really a crappy one or is the one tailor made for you? Because sometimes you get the one that has the Victorian English in it. Other times you get a modernized version of it. And sometimes you'll get the Jetsons where Spacely just has to be good because if he's not, George will sue him back to the Stone Age and take it because Astro died from eating a robotic cat toy that had a sprocket in it. Or you have Animaniacs, and you get the idea where it's like a 10-minute segment. Scrooged, I, I mean, it's directed by Richard Donner, who has, well, he directed a, a Christmas movie, Lethal Weapon. Yep. And I he was also just going to say that. Yeah, he also directed one of my favorite Twilight Zone episodes of all time with William Shatner, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And, of course, he directed Superman 1 and 2. Scrooged is weird because I never thought he would direct this. It, it, it's always been a debate of why, because you have Danny Elfman's theme. I mean, this would be a year during the time we got Beetlejuice, and he would start to collaborate a little bit more with Burton, and this feels more like something Burton would handle than Donner. And as for Bill Murray, well, you know, you don't direct him. You just stand out of his way, and you just call the way... 1-800 number, and you let him do whatever he wants to. However, what I found over the years, there was supposed to be a You'll Love It DVD edition that has never seen the light of day. It was supposed to come out in 2006 or 16, but for reasons today, Paramount refuses to release it. I don't know why. People have been talking about this movie more now than then, and I saw this one in theaters. And I have to tell you, you either saw it because of Bill Murray or you just saw it because you were kind of, you know, programmed to, to see another version of Christmas Carol. I have to say, back in the 90s, there was a documentary about Frankenstein, which is the definitive version uh, that, that you want to see in theaters. And a lot of people said it was Young Frankenstein. And this is during the time that Mary Sherry's Frankenstein was coming out with Kenneth Branagh. But I have to say, with all the versions of Christmas Carol, this, I don't know if it's the definitive, but if you're to going... To me, it's the most enjoyable. And yeah, the one that I, I, I will see the most. Yeah, if you're going to mix, without cramming it down and scaring straight, it's definitely the most watchable. Because I was debating about the Jim Carrey version. I did watch that the other day as well. But my problem is, is that it's Victorian English... They scare him straight and then some, and they try to make it funny once or twice, and it just doesn't work, as, especially that motion capture that unfortunately bankrupted Zemeckis after Mars Needs Moms bombed. 
So what do we have left? Well, you either have Mickey's Christmas Carol or you have Scrooged or you have Albert Finney or you have – I can go on and on. But the reason why this one works so well is that he's not miserly. He's just bitter and antisocial, which you'll see with his past. And that's thanks to Brian Doyle Murray playing the brother and the ghosts. The ghosts in this movie are the scene stealers. You have Buster Poindexter, David Johansson as a ghost of Christmas past, who uses this cab time DeLorean thing to, to go back in time. You have Carol Kane uh, Simka from Taxi, who is the ghost of Christmas present, where she's supposed to be this insane version of Wonder the Good Witch from Wizard of Oz. And you still have Ghost of Christmas Future yet to come that's still death, even though I believe in the original book, it's supposed to be a shadow that eventually turns into the Grim Reaper once Scrooge goes to the graveyard. But that's always been a debate if the ghosts are really Scrooge's subconscious. And that's, you know, it's one six half dozen of the other. But I, I love the design of the Ghost of Christmas Future because not only is it the Grim Reaper, but when you undo the robe, you have like these little puppets that are like trapped in the skeletal system. It's great makeup, great effects. And I also, I, I believe this was the last film for uh, John Forsyth as well as um, John Gielud. I know who you're talking about. But I have to say, it has aged over the years. I have yet to have one person come up to me and hate this movie. There's a lot of great social commentary about... Like I said, instead of being Marsley, he's a TV president whose career is entirely on the line. And that seems to be a lot more modern, and it, and it seems to work a lot better than a guy in his 50s or 60s that's in love with money. Also, he gets a second chance with the girl, which is played, of course, by Karen Allen, and she's great in this. But I have to say right now, if you want to... It's the it's, best rendition. I yeah, think, it's uh, the best uh, rendition. And I think it's easy to get off of AMC, or if you want to, just get it off of Amazon Prime for 7 bucks. It's worth it. It's definitely worth your time. Oh, and of course, we have... Um, a new version of Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim. It's definitely in my 12 Christmas films. It's definitely number two. I, it, it, what beat it, unfortunately, was a year later with uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. You can't blame me. but No, yeah, no it's one of my favorites, too. Uh, I mean, my, of course, I've said my favorite of all time, and I will battle people to the death on this one, is Die Hard, which is the best Christmas movie of all time. Thank you very much. But before we head on out, my friend, I know you wanted to touch on some Christmas horror movies. Yes. Christmas horror movies is something that I think a lot of people want to go ahead and not necessarily think of, especially in the year 2020. But then again, there's that crowd that's out there that's looking for, hey, I'm looking for something a little bit different. Where will I go this holiday for horror movies? We talked about Krampus a few years ago, which was great. You were on that episode. You can find that in the archives. But... I think it was either you or um, from Pittsburgh Neuroparacast who brought up Christmas Horror Story, and I watched it. It has Krampus as well, two stories. It's an anthology series that just ended up on video on demand. It's from our friends in the Great White North. One of the directors, Grant Harvey, uh, directed a few episodes of House with Huey Laurie, if you remember, back in the 2000s. It's not a bad movie. I can only watch it 
in December, not just because it's a Christmas movie. It, it's just the, the rewatchability. I mean, it's another anthology series. I, I think what happened was Creepshow 3 left a bad taste in my mouth. But with this one, you have some interesting Canadian actors. You have William Shatner, who is the MC. He's a radio disc jockey. That's kind of talk about things that are going on around this town. And mm-hmm. you, you I, I don't want to give too much away, but it does deal with Krampus being a weird demon and another one where Krampus is using his powers to turn Santa's elves into zombies. And the other two stories do deal with possession and these little shape-shifting demons. But I have to say, it doesn't try to copy other horror movies, which is not a bad thing. And it tries to stay in touch with EC Comics, where it's short, sweet, and to the point. And there's not much irony. It's just a fun, horror-filmed... I was afraid it was going to try to copy the Krampus movie we saw when it came to the Krampus segment because mm-hmm. it does deal with a mean family, but they do kind of redeem themselves. And again, is Santa Claus fighting the elves because they've been turned into zombies because Krampus is using black magic is actually not a bad idea when done right. And since it's only a 10 to 15 minute segment, again, it, it almost felt like something out of college humor and I don't want to give away what the twist is because a lot of people haven't seen this movie. It's been out for five years, but I don't want to give any of the stories away. I will say this much. If you have an Amazon Prime account, it's free. And if you don't have an Amazon Prime account to rent it, I think it's $2.99 for the standard and $5.99 for the HD. But it's definitely worth at least a one-time watch. And also the segments just don't end. They kind of fade out. And go into another story and then fade back in later on. Noe and Find has got some great thoughts there. Please check out that on Amazon Prime right now to go ahead and give you that Christmas scare that you're looking forward to this holiday. But yes, any last thoughts on the way out? Yes, there was one other one that I came across that actually was released a couple of years ago, and that was Santa Jaws. And I remember it, it, Santa Jaws. Yeah, I, you see, I only found about it this year. And it's on Amazon Prime for free. It feels like it's copying Krampus, where it's about a kid that had a fault with his family, loses the Christmas spirit, and uses dark magic, and then regrets wishing for his family to disappear. It's not a bad movie if it was like a 10 to 15 minute college humor mini movie. But the biggest problem is. It's 90 minutes. It's a very small cast. They're definitely likable and watchable to a point. But the pacing is just blah. Because they, they, they have to build up to a shark that if they just go near the water, if you have anything that resembles Christmas, it will attack you. As for their carnage count, there was one interesting kill that I actually did want to give away with, where it came with, I guess, I would say an extra where he's dressed as an elf dangling his feet in the water, and the shark will come by and bite off the guy's legs, and he's running across the pier with stumps because his legs were bit off. And I have to say, for a killer shark movie, and I, ha- I know there's a lot of them out there. I have not seen them all. But I will say this much. With that kind of... Because he eventually finishes the elf off, it wasn't a bad kill, 
And I guess with a bigger budget and, and the pacing just to get dragged out for another five minutes, it would have worked. But if you want to watch it one time, I think it is free on Amazon demand. But uh, you watch it once, it's not going to be an annual tradition. Christmas Horror Story definitely will be. Santa Jaws, just pardon the pun, does not have any bite to it. So there you have it, everyone. Some great horror picks for this Christmas. Snuggle right around the campfire. Get right there around the TV. Pop in some horror movies to make your Yuletide bright. I can't even say that with a straight face. I know. Yuletide bright. Make sure you get some eggnog handy because there's some scares out there for you. But once again, as Noe and Fine from Hunnic Ween and the Hunnic Outcasts, and of course, as always, each and every year, I do appreciate your input when it comes to horror stories, your contributions this year to Pop Culture Cosmos, many, many, many things that you've talked about from the Yakuza video games to mm. helping us out and sitting in the big chair to everything that you've been a part of this year. I cannot thank you enough. And I want to wish you and your entire family the healthiest and happiest of holiday seasons, my friend. I thank you too, sir. And yeah, this is, I just want to end on one thing, everybody. I know that this has been the most frustrating of years. And I don't want to be repetitious. And 2021 may also be a carryover of some frustrations. And I know that where we are in different states, that they have been shut down again for a few weeks. And whenever the vaccinations are coming out, which I still have zero clue, it's kind of wonky, but let me just say this. You follow the precautions, you'll be fine. And listen, I know everybody's frustrated. It could be a lot worse. We are going to be okay. It's not as bad as one thinks. You always have somebody to talk to. You know, there's always somebody out there if you need the help. I promise you, we'll get through this. Everything is going to be okay. Couldn't have said that better myself. This is my good friend, Noe and Fine, who I wish a fantastic holiday to. You got to catch him today at Hunnic Queen and the Hunnic Outcast. He's always a great part of this show, great part of what we do here. And thank him so much for being a part of the PCC Multiverse. Video game box art, the stories behind the covers, in which we talk to the illustrators and artists who are responsible for gaming's most iconic images. Don't forget to check out Video Game Box Art, the stories behind the covers, celebrating gaming's most iconic images from the people who created them. This and many more from Rob McCallum Films. And we're back on the program. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. We want to thank you so much for listening. And he is back again. You got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today wherever you get your podcast at the bar talk podcast, because they talk around the bar at the bar talk podcast. And I'll tell you what, I'm so happy he's here because we're going to be talking pro wrestling and Ryan, again, it's just a pleasure having you back on the program. Oh, it's a pleasure. A pleasure to be here, Gerald. It always is. All right. So we're talking pro wrestling and it has been an interesting year for pro wrestling. Yeah. Very, WWE, very interesting. WWE did not stop no matter how hectic or now how bad it got with the coronavirus. I, I don't know. There's a lot of questions on whether or not they should have, in hindsight, put people at risk like that. I think that will always be a debate going forward. Some other organizations, smaller organizations, did close temporarily for several months. Some have yet to reopen. We still see a lot just starting up right now. But Impact tried to go ahead and make a go of it. 
Ring of Honors just getting back. NWA still is up in the air. New Japan is uh, obviously trying to do something at this point in time and even trying to run house shows as well. So everybody's trying to do their own thing. And obviously the rise of All Elite Wrestling to a major competitive status, not necessarily head-to-head as I talked about last week with John Orlando from the PBD cast where we talked about how high is AEW right now. But they're there. They're getting close. They're they're in the ballpark. 800,000 viewers right now on their latest outing. And I think it's something that a lot of people have to take interest in. But I want to hear your thoughts, my friend, on professional wrestling for 2020. Was it a good year or a bad year for the industry as a whole? Well, I think uh, 2020 was absolutely a make or break year for the industry. And I'll I'll tell you what, there was a lot of wrestlers that kind of rose up to the occasion. And especially having quiet arenas. There was a lot of different wrestlers from from different organizations that rose to the occasion and really helped bring that sense of of passion and bring doing a lot better character work because there's no audience to hide behind them as far as reactions. Absolutely. And and it's a little bit harder for like you said the performers themselves because they're it's little to go off of to get that extra drive, to get that extra oomph right there for you yeah. when fans are cheering because there are no fans cheering, just a bunch of screens looking back at you. So it's really paramount to be a great performer in this business because it sticks out even more when you're not a great performer in this business. Yeah. So I, yeah, I see, absolutely. Yeah, it, it just it's been showing and sticking out more like a sore thumb in this year more than most. So I want to go ahead and say right now that you've got a great list from what you've kind of gone ahead and told me in generalities. You haven't told me any real specific names, any specific matches, but I know you got a list of best wrestlers for today's interview. So I give the floor to you. I will interject on occasion, as unfortunately I do all too often, but I will try to be respectful as I can. But you know me. I think I'm going to go ahead and say a word or two otherwise from time to time. You'll be just fine. (laughs) <laughs> okay, sounds good. But your list, my friend, on to All right, uh, we'll, we'll start out with a top 10 wrestlers of 2020. And my number 10 pick comes in from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Minoru Suzuki. Some of the matches he had with Ishii and uh, Ibushi, especially with uh, New Japan kind of being somewhat destructive with how they were booking their higher tier matches, they didn't touch Suzuki much in the mid card where he's been working. But a lot of his work has been like A-plus stuff this year. I don't know if you've gotten the opportunity to watch He had a great match in October with Okada. Yeah, yes. In-ring work is phenomenal. He's a very, very good worker. Uh, he could, you know, very passionate. There's a lot of New Japan people I didn't actually include on this list because of the aforementioned, at least in my opinion, destructive booking they've been having. Uh, a lot of that may have had to do with the pandemic, not being able to run certain storylines the way they would have liked to. But uh, that's that's my number 10 pick. Number nine pick is coming out of WWE, and it's Asuka. Man, she didn't have a lot of brilliant matches this year, but her energy and charisma were second to none. Yep. They didn't uh, have a whole lot planned for her for 2020, but as soon as she started... First, well, I'll just say this. Her first seven months were sensational, and she was my top wrestler of the year. The back five months, the booking committee booked her out of the number one spot, and I'll just leave it at yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, she was definitely a brush of fresh air in an empty arena era, hands Absolutely. down. Just the the way she works. I think one of the things for me personally that pushed her uh, at least into my top 10 was the just the, the passion involved with her promo that had to do with Becky Lynch's pregnancy. 
and and just the just the genuineity of it it's like man it's it, it was there you know it was it was a very you you felt it you 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 feel oscar when she has her matches you don't just watch them you feel them absolutely you know? and she doesn't have to do a lot of high flying she doesn't have to do yeah. a lot of things outside of the ring she's a throwback to an era as far as in-ring mat work that she can get done that's interesting that tells a story and that really gets it done and she deserves a lot of credit for that in fact as if you watch her videos on youtube on her own channel it's so funny mm -hmm. because one of the latest ones where she rewards herself by purchasing coke because she really worked hard this year you know what she yeah. did really work hard this year and she yeah. was there for the company from risking her own health at a time where a lot of other wrestlers, and rightly so, and deservedly so, were staying home. And she yeah. was out there performing each and every week. Yeah, absolutely. My number eight wrestler, and we're going to be going back-to-back -back female WWE wrestlers, is Io Shirai. Her matches with Candice LeRae, I believe those were in October. They were some good matches. Her matches with Rhea Ripley, consistent ring work, versatile she had uh, one with Sasha Banks, too, as well. That was really yeah. uh, on TV. That was really, really good. Her triple threat match for the In Your House pay-per-view. That one and the number one contenders match, it just shows that whoever she works with, even if they're people that have been with the company, whether they were veterans or, or people that were slightly green to wrestling in general, she just has this ability to elevate anybody she works with. I really like the future for Io Shirai as well. Yeah. Okay, my number seven pick, and this will be my third WWE pick in a row, and my number seven pick is Randy Orton. Just because of the way he's kind of reinvented himself this year. He came out of the Royal Rumble on fire. His Raw segments involving Edge and Beth Phoenix were some of his best work he's done probably seriously 2011, 2012. His character work was impressive, and they actually used his slower style effectively this time around. They haven't done that in years. That one I may disagree with you on because the greatest match of all time was nowhere near it between him and Edge. I think that was an overproduced nightmare. Some of his higher profile matches have not lived up to any type of expectations heading into it. I think that, like you said, he did reinvent his character and, and he does that from time to time. Still is not the most charismatic individual, so it's hard for individuals like myself to get behind him. But he did go ahead and make himself prominent, whether it's not because of him or the fabulous new contract he got from the WWE. That's mm -hmm. either which way, because the WWE is probably giving him one of his final contracts of his career. I guess it's a yeah. multi-year deal. But I, I think that he played himself again into a prominent role with the WWE. SmackDown first, but on Raw now that, yeah, I guess he was there out there. It's just his work rate in ring rate. I still think it's there. It's solid, but it's unspectacular. It's really hard to have him go ahead and give you that extra oomph because he's just so, like you said, methodical. He's yeah. so deliberate in his motions and his moves that when you have a showcase match like the greatest match of all time and even the follow-up matches that he had in high-profile matches, it's really hard to showcase anything spectacular from him because he doesn't do anything spectacular. Yeah. Oh, touche on that. I picked him more because of his character effectiveness this year was the biggest reason why I probably put him on there. Mm -hmm. I can't say I disagree with you wholeheartedly on it, but it's just that, you know, I think the expectations on the greatest match of all time is, is something for me, I would keep him off the list. 
Fair enough. Moving on to number six is going to be my first one on the list from AEW and is another one that you might disagree on me with. I'm putting MJF at number six. For me, I'd say that's that's right around the range. You know what? On second, that's right around the range. I get four, five, six would be for me. I have uh, one singular reason why I put him at number six or even on the list to begin with because I was considering putting him on a breakout star for 2021 list instead, but decided not to. His in-ring work surprised the hell out of me. Because I, I thought he was going to be a lot sloppier than he was, considering how new to it he is. And he has that true full-time old-school heel type feel to him. I think he's proven himself this year. He's a lot more than just good on the mic. Yeah, he's he was he had a really great year. Obviously, uh, his segment with Chris Jericho and the song and dance routine got the attention of the general audience, especially with the New York Times raving about his performance. He is the future of pro wrestling, uh, rest assured. But the future, because now I think you and I are still disappointed in the fact he wasn't given the title and given a title run. I understand. I'm I'm 50-50 on that. Well, I I think the future is for him, but it all depends. You have to keep him strong. So we're going to wait and see him kind of on the fence on this current angle that he's in with Chris Jericho and the inner circle where it's leading to. The goal should be to put him in the highest possible platform because, again, he is one of the brightest spots for your future. If you're talking about building your own homegrown stars that WWE hasn't touched yet or tainted yet, for lack of a better term, Mm -hmm. you got to go ahead and put him on a great platform. I'm not sure that they're doing it. It's Like you said, it's kind of an unsure right now. We'll see what happens in 2021, but he has to be a big factor for them going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. My number five on the list is my second from New Japan, and that's Kota Ibushi. Man, he can mold into any kind of character. His matches are very diverse. In my opinion, he's probably among one of the best well-rounded wrestlers. His work with the Golden Aces against the Dangerous Techers, his matches with Suzuki and Will Ospreay in particular were ones that delighted me to watch. Always a big fan of Will Ospreay. is one of my personal favorites. My number four on the list is probably going to be my most controversial pick. Oh, here we go. Watch out. And it's my first and only pick off of Impact Wrestling, and that's Tesha Blanchard. She not only became the Impact World Champion, she became the first woman to ever hold a men's world title in any U.S.-based wrestling promotion. So my number three on the list, and it wouldn't be any list without having Chris Jericho on it. Mm, Uh, That is probably the most controversial. The reason why I put Chris Jericho on the list is because he's been faithful to putting new talent over. Agree with you. I don't think the issues with Darby Allen or also as well with Orange Cassidy primarily, I think that's the one I would shoot to the most. I would not have done that. You know, I understand. No, no, uh, no Mimosa Mayhem match. Yeah. That's, that's again, there's, there's a point to where, there's a point to where you want to stop doing jobs when you're at the level that Chris Jericho is. And I think he went beyond that. I think it devalues him. It doesn't as a personality because obviously once he gets on the mic, he, he becomes Chris Jericho, but as a a believable individual in the ring, because he clearly has lost a step this year. It's clear that he, he did not have as much as he did even in his days working new Japan in the past Mm -hmm. couple of years. It's obvious that he has lost a step. So I'm, kind of uh i don't know that's a controversial pick i chris jericho obviously his credit putting him over and obviously he's well compensated for that and that's the first thing he would probably ask for the most but 
some of the judgments that he made this year. I don't know. The MJF, yeah, I, it's good. I, 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 I kind of like his his creative. I, I think he, I personally think Jericho is a creative genius. Maybe I wouldn't have done a Mimosa Mayhem match. But the Le Dinner de Bornaire, I would have absolutely done. That was oh, yeah. probably I mean, that was probably one of the most comical segments for me in AEW this year. Oh yeah, I mean that worked. Obviously, you getting the attention. And who, of, who knew that MJF could sing? Yeah, and, and just <laughs> it, it showcased the idea was to showcase MJF in this whole angle, and the okay, yeah. the idea was him putting over. And obviously, he's had a lot of creative input into that. And to that, he gets a lot of credit. We'll see where it goes in making and keeping MJF at a higher level for the future. But some of his choices in putting over this young talent, I'm not necessarily agreed upon on that because I don't think some of the young talent that they're pushing right now in AEW is deserving of that spot. I think Darby Allen is somebody that is got a future. I'm still not sold on Orange Cassidy. You're still going to have to sell me on that. I'm going to be very honest with you on that. But MJF, we've talked about before, and there is some t- young talent that needs to be pushed. I'm just not sure Chris Jericho and pinning him all the time is the best way to do it. Fair enough. He should still be a drawing card for you. And when you pin him time and time and time and time again, he stops being a drawing card. He just becomes another low-end novelty act and that's not what you want out of chris jericho well they've they've been they've been fortunate so far they've been able to keep him still drawing so for now we'll see if that prevails uh if he keeps going in this direction for now for now my number two pick another one out of wwe is drew mcintyre who i think had an absolute standout year this year i mean even before his match with brock lesnar but man the pop he got when he bet brock lesnar I think solidified him as a major face in the company, which was their point to begin with with that. But his promos, his matches, he all works everything with real passion. You can see it when he's working. And there's just so many intangibles that he has. They're very hard to look past, all the intangibles that Drew McIntyre has. You know, and he's been through the ringer. Look at back to his 3MB days when he was more or less a laughingstock. And he left, he reinvented himself. He came back and he said, this is what I want. You know, there's somebody that has a lot of passion in their career choice. Yes, Drew McIntyre had a very good year. Outstanding wrestler. Somebody that is getting a lot of attention. Was given the top spot. And it's really hard to gauge. I don't think it was successful because the ratings are so down on Raw. And obviously him being a champion, you have to get some of the blame for that. But I don't Mm -hmm. know if not going back to him when there are crowds there is the wrong answer. Because you don't know exactly how well he's going to do and how well he could perform as champion because you don't have crowds. You don't have crowds and you don't, you don't really have any way to real gauge outside of ratings. But I wanted to go ahead and say that it's really hard to gauge for his future. I can't say it was a huge success for him because obviously, even though he was champion most of the year, their ratings were down most of the year and are really at that low numbers for the, the company right now. I'm going to say that his matches, his in-ring work was really solid and really, really good. And he deserves a lot of credit for that. His mic work is really good. And he's a really solid individual right now. And I think that they should go to him as a champion when they get crowds back, just so you can gauge exactly where he is as a personality. Because you really, truly can't right now in this year of pandemic. I mean, he's been the one of the individuals that has been given a push in the middle of this pandemic that you really don't know exactly if it's true or it's not true, how long it's going to lay out. Yeah. 
No, absolutely. I think they do need to come back to once they have audiences back in attendance. Even when he came back with Dolph Ziggler, I mean, he garnered a reaction, whether that was because of Dolph Ziggler or not, who knows? I think he'll be able to do something at a higher capacity. You know, either either whether it's a, he is a heel or a face, I think he'll be somewhere in contention down the line. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to seeing what he has to offer. Again, Drew McIntyre is a top individual star. We're not sure, though, exactly. Can he be that transcendent star? I'm not sure about that, but I think he can be a very good player. I think he can be someone you can lay a championship on in the future going forward, and the people will support him. I'm not sure if he gets you and brings in new fans and becomes that dynamite individual that you sorely need. In fact, as we've talked about before, I mean, pro wrestling as a whole needs that one dynamic, transcendent individual to come across. I'm not sure we have it. If we do, it's probably going to be three letters, MJF. I think that's the closest thing that we could have going forward. But right now, I think we're just in a wait and see, a pattern yeah. mode where we're just standing pat until crowds come back to see whether or not yeah. individuals such as Drew McIntyre can take it to that next level. My number one on the list, I'm not sure if you're going to agree with this one either. You might, but you might not. My number one on the list is John Moxley. Mm, yes, yeah. an on-mic personality. Obviously, it's deserving of to be in a top 10. His matches were a largely one note as far as brawling. And, and if you're into that, and I am into that, I can see that on a technical aspect. He had a lot of exciting matches. When it comes to John Moxley, obviously he is deserving of a place in the top 10. I don't know where I wouldn't put him that high simply because of the fact that his matches were good, but not at a level that's higher than, let's say, Okada. That's higher than, let's say, Osprey. That's higher than many of the New Japan or, well, actually, in all of the wrestling, I would put Cody Rhodes ahead of him. Uh, I thought about putting Cody Rhodes at the number one spot. I thought about Kenny Omega. Cody Rhodes, Rhea Ripley was maybe on my list somewhere. Adam Cole was maybe on my list somewhere. I had Nick Aldis on the list, Kento, Okada, Eddie Kingston I had on the list as a possible in my top 10. Will Ospreay, Bray Wyatt even. I had them all as honorable mentions. I ended up deciding on Moxley because he pretty much what you see is what you get. He walks a very fine line between face and heel. And I don't think anybody has done it as well as him since Stone Cold Steve Austin. I tell you what, Ryan, it's been great having you on the show again. I cannot thank you enough for being a part of it, talking it's some great fun. wrestling. We might have to arm wrestle for the top wrestler of 2020, but outside of that, I do want to tell you it's just an outstanding list. Again, you kill it every time you're on the show. I'm going to have to get you back on to talk more pro wrestling and pop culture every time out right here on the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. Do want to thank Noah Ian Fine from Hunnequeen and Ryan John Tabasco from Bar Talk Podcast for showing up on today's program. Well, guys, before we head on out, I know Josh and I argue about this every Christmas, but I want to hear your thoughts, big dog. Your favorite Christmas movie 
something you would go to battle for, something you go to war I, for. I kind of have a tie. It's either Christmas Vacation, National Lampoons, or the first Die Hard. Aha! This is it. This was the tie. Like, you are half of you is on my team and half of you is on Gerald's team. Oh, excellent. <laughs> all right. Right down the middle, mediating all this. So, yes, it, Christmas Vacation on one side. Die Hard on the other, and we cannot tie break because you know what? Those are two awesome movies. Actually, Christmas Vacation is my number two. My top two quintessentials are the two I watch every year. Yeah, it's it's a classic. Like it just every year, I get the same amount of laughter out of it as it's, I do. It's, it's timeless. It is very timeless. I Die do have Hard. I do have another I do have another one. The Muppets Christmas. Oh, that's solid. Very solid. Very mm, solid. Very good movie. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Amazing. Excellent choice. I so. All right, we want to hear your thoughts again. What is your favorite Christmas movie out there? We'd love to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Am I right when I say Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Or am I right that Die Hard is the greatest Christmas movie of all time? Well, go ahead. be wrong. Okay, Christmas Vacation. <laughs> Christmas Vacation or Die Hard. We want to hear your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos. There you go. Elf. I know Elf. Although Josh said he doesn't like Elf that much, it gets overplayed a little bit. But Will Ferrell's—that's one of his best performances. Yeah, I'm just I quote it all the time. I'm not a big <laughs> Will Ferrell fan. I think that's what really kills it for me. Old school's his best performance. Old school's amazing. Yeah, yeah. old school. There you go. All right. <laughs> well, uh, guys, it's been fantastic having you on. But before we head on out, I want to go ahead and hit you up on two fast food thoughts before we head on out. That's fast food thoughts before we head on out. Because it wouldn't be a Christmas without fast food. And Josh has found his perfect console. Because he is the man that loves video game consoles. He collects them. He goes ahead and does whatever he can. He's talked about his his drive for his Xbox Series X. And also as well, he'll get eventually the PlayStation 5, just like myself. But there's one console that he now desires more than any other. And that is KFC has just announced a gaming console unlike any other. Not only is it a Asus gaming machine built in that produces up to 4K and 240 frames per second, which beats the Xbox Series X or S and also beats the PlayStation 5. But it also has inside a chicken warmer that can warm chicken or whatever it is that you want to go ahead and warm. So, Josh, when I told you this news, was this your dream come true? Yeah, I'm actually like trying to figure out how to get one, and I don't see anything here. I wonder if this is just a publicity stunt, but yeah, this is pretty amazing. Like, you know, the Xbox Series X looks like you can throw like some pancakes on top of it and it'll cook it, but this is just uh, this is a whole other ballpark here. I actually don't put pancakes on your Xbox Series X. It will. Well, I told you it looks like my subwoofer. They, they, they missed out. They should have just called it the KFC bucket. Oh. Good one, yeah. I think they probably will sell. Okay, I mean, if Asus is going to go to the the extent of, of building it with along with a, a lot of high end stuff, there's mm -hmm. going to be a demand for it. So I have a feeling it's going to be out there in some form or fashion. Now, obviously, KFC would prefer you heat up their own chicken in it, but if you got some cold stuff coming out of the fridge, throw it right in there, chicken warmer, while you're playing Cyberpunk 2077 and trying to determine how many bugs you'll find in it you'll be able to go ahead and warm up your favorite food of choice right there on the KFC gaming console. There's one for you. 
But the second before you guys head on out, and that is in Japan at your local McDonald's, you can get this fabulous combination. I think it's a new sandwich for them. Probably not going to be on the menu very long. Two slices of Spam. Oh, I heard about that. Crushed Oreos. And topped off with mayonnaise on a sesame seed bun, a la the Big Mac. Big Dog, what are your thoughts on an Oreo Spam sandwich type deal now being served at McDonald's overseas? Well, I, I love Oreos, but I hate Spam. So I'm not entirely sure how about that. Uh, my dad loves Spam. And you'll never see me either because I'll be in the bathroom the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I don't um, know if you'll be able to top that, but let me know your thoughts on the way out. Try everything once, I always say. This sounds interesting. I don't hate spam. I just hate it in my inbox. That's that's it. There you go. Because you've oh. won $10 million or your Amazon delivery didn't oh. come through or I'll something like that. Through, you know? Nancy Weems says chocolate chip and ham. Well, this is actual Oreo cookies, crushed Oreo cookies on two slices of spam with mayo and a sesame seed bun on top. So that's something that's out there. And yes, I don't know how they come up with these things. When they're tossing new menu items around, I didn't know how this came up. But you know what? I think for the novelty, it's probably going to sell well, but I don't expect it to stay very long on the McDonald's menu. Well, what was that thing that KFC made where it was like two chicken breasts with bacon and cheese in between the chicken breasts is like a sandwich. Yep, that came out. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, Josh was all over it. Josh was all over it. Yeah, I don't need desserts. I know your Arby's. I don't have dessert afterwards. I don't need Oreos in my cheeseburger. I can just have Oreos when I'm done with my cheeseburger. Nancy Weep says sweet and salty. It is sweet and salty indeed. So... We want to hear your thoughts on KFC's new Super Console with its own chicken warmer, and then also as well McDonald's selling a Spam Burger topped off with delicious Oreo cookies, crushed Oreo cookies. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for being on today's show. Again, a big thank you to Noah Ian Fine from Hunting Queen and also as well Ryan John Tabasco from the Bar Talk Podcast. But any last thoughts, guys, on the way out? Big Dog? Watch some Wonder Woman. Don't eat the damn spam. Enjoy some Die Hard and Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. Because it's a superior Christmas movie. We all know Die Hard is. That's what I said. Die Hard has a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. (laughs) No, thanks for tuning in. Our album of the year episode is going to be up on Topic Ocalypse here Christmas Day. So uh, stay tuned for that. And on Monday for Pop Culture Cosmos, I'm going to sound off on my best of pop culture for 2020. Plus, again, we're going to have Seth Porges from Class Action Park. He's going to stop by and talk about not only the success of Class Action Park on HBO Max and how it's been so well received, but he hints towards some great things in the future for him and his next project. So take a listen to that interview when it comes up on Monday for the Pop Culture Cosmos. I want to thank you so much for watching and listening. We truly appreciate it. We hope you are having a Merry Christmas out there and also a happy holiday season and looking forward to a great 2021 when the PCC Multiverse comes back next year. Hopefully with me and Marcus, maybe me and Josh. Not sure how it's going to go, but we're looking forward to seeing you in the multiverse in 2021. So for Big Dog, 
and Josh Peterson. This is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a Merry Christmas. Ho, 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 ho.